What's up, everyone? And we're back with episode 154 of the Justin Insight podcast. Uh, this is a show where we talk to people involved in the world of alternative music, uh, discuss their story and how it got them into music and how it led them to be where they are now. Um, it's been a little while, hasn't it? Um, but if you're a returning listener, thank you so, so much for sticking with us uh, whilst I sorted all of my equipment issues um, after everything died on me just as we were kind of going into the whole COVID-19 lockdown. I mean, it was slowly dying anyway, but this was just an excuse for me to kind of hit the pause button and have a bit of a refresh. So I have a brand new laptop, I have a brand new microphone, and I have some awesome, awesome guests lined up for the coming weeks. Um, if you're a new uh, listener to the show, thank you very much for for checking us out. Um, we have 153 other episodes that you are more than welcome to go check out. Guests varying from Lingua Ignota, um, Walter from uh, Writing Out, and uh, Serena Cherry from Svalbard, and loads, loads more. So yeah, go check out the back catalogue. We've got loads of awesome chats on there. So if you're here for this week's guest, I'm sure there'll be something else in there that you'll you'll be into. Um, obviously, at the moment, we're still currently in kind of some form of lockdown, though judging by a lot of the stuff you'd see on the internet, you wouldn't really think that. Uh, but just have to say, like, faith off the bat, I was a little bit naive kind of going into this and thought this whole situation would be kind of resolved by now, but and we'd be kind of back to some normality. But here we are, we're still social distancing and and whatnot and yeah the world's still a bit bit crazy right now but thankful for 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 this podcast and being back in the flow of things but i just kind of wanted to touch upon a few things like people are obviously very much aware but i thought if i didn't highlight them then i'd get people being like, mm -hmm, or whatever but just for my own accord obviously i just want to kind of say how things have been going obviously here in the uk our government has been sort of an absolute joke the whole dominic cummings thing if you're not aware uh, one of the main uh, government ministers uh, not ministers sorry advisors uh, basically broke his own lockdown procedures to go for a, for a walk with his missus and his son uh, and basically claimed he went on a 60 mile drive to test his eyesight because he's a fucking moron um but yeah, so we had that, and then we had the murder of George Floyd over in America, which obviously reignited the, the Black Lives Matter protests, um, which was a massive, massive thing, uh, not just in, in the States, but all over the world, and still is. There's still sort of, uh, people of colour being killed due to police brutality every day. Um, there's numerous people that were killed in that short space of time around George Floyd's death that officers still haven't been taken to account and things like that and probably never will be because it's a fucked up system. Um, but yeah, so that's another thing. We've seen the return of sport around the world, like football and things like that. And just because 2020 is so fucked up and so many fucking things have happened, we've also had loads of uh, sexual allegation, uh, sexual abuse allegations, sorry, 
coming out surrounding people in the music world, in the wrestling world specifically, that's been a big one. There's been the whole speaking out movement. Uh, if you if you follow wrestling, um, if not, I think it's if you're kind of wanting to know about this uh, kind of call out culture kind of thing and how it can affect change, go search the speaking out hashtag on Twitter. And there's a lot of stuff going in there. I really hope that that it does kind of lead to change in things in the British wrestling scene. Um, but we'll wait and see, I guess, in the further picture of things. But yeah, also other people in further kind of entertainment, like comedians and actors and stuff. So yeah, it's been a pretty fucking crazy time. But I just hope everyone's kind of keeping safe and sane. Um, for myself, for the most part, I have been going a little bit crazy and just bored and stuff. But... Now that we've kind of got this show back up and running again, it's kind of given me something to focus on, which I'm internally grateful for and really, really happy to be back and stoked to, to be putting these episodes out again. Um, there's just a couple of more brief things that I want to touch upon before we get to the guest. I know this is a, going to be a bit of a rambling intro, uh, but it's been a while. So I kind of there's things that I want to touch upon. Um First thing is regarding the whole Black Lives Matter movement. Um, at the time, like especially when things were at their height, I really wanted to do something to show support. Um, but didn't really know what, where, high wow, high wow, or how. I can't talk apparently. Um, I wanted to attend a protest, but due to sort of like my living situation and sort of my own social anxieties, I didn't think it was appropriate for me to go. Um, I'd used uh, my personal social media platform to kind of amplify voices and kind of put things out there. But I also donated and I kind of just wanted to to kind of, because I wanted to use this podcast as well, but I didn't really know what to do at the time. Um, so I'm just kind of using this now. If there's anyone that kind of still hasn't supported or wants to sort of learn more and things, I'm going to put a couple of links in, in the description notes just for people to check out. Uh, and yeah, that's kind of that on, on that. Um, the other thing that I wanted to say is just around this show in general, I kind of want to do a bit more of self-promotion as much as I can. It may get on your nerves a little bit, but I want to grow this. I want to do it as much as possible. And I think pe like people enjoy it. Well, well, I hope people enjoy it anyway. Um, so just straight off the bat, like, if this is your, your first time listening to the show, on whatever platform you're listening, then please rate, subscribe, review if you can. It really, really helps. goes a little bit further. Secondly, uh, we're looking to kind of utilise our Patreon a bit more. So in the past, I've only kind of just had it as a tip service and haven't really pushed it or anything. But I'm wanting to put other sort of tier levels in there and give you guys a bit more creativity in terms of the show and input i guess in some aspects uh so if you want to get involved in that if you visit patreon.com forward slash just an inside podcast uh i'll have all the details on there i will once again also put a link in the description of this episode um and finally just want to say a massive massive thank you to everyone who's been supporting an inside magazine at least that's kind of been a creative outlet i have been able to do during lockdown um issue three development is well underway should be completed by the end of July if I'm kind of carrying on at the pace that I am at the moment so fingers crossed on that 
we still have a, a handful of issues of issue two left so if you want to grab one of those uh, once again i'll put the link to such in the description notes right that's enough of me rambling on let's get to our returning guest and i am joined by the awesome guitarist of misery signals and comeback kid Stu Ross. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting Stu last summer when I was out with my good friends in Svalbard. They did a little run with Comeback Kid over the summer. Uh, it was only four, well, three dates, but I was with four because uh, the Comeback Kid guys did 2003s and I was at that as well. Um, so got to know Stu a little bit over that, but it was really cool to kind of sit down, have a chat with him and get to know him a bit more for, for this show. Um, Full disclosure, sorry. Uh, I'm kind of obviously doing these chats over Zoom at the moment. I'm using a new mic, which I'm still kind of getting used to the settings and stuff on uh, and trying to sort of edit two lines of audio, which is something I haven't really done in the past. I've always kind of just recorded things in one bulk file and tweaked it there and such. So there are a couple of bits where there's overlapping chat where the Zoom chat on Stu's end cuts out because I'm talking or laughing or whatever. Um, but I've tried to edit it as best as to my abilities. So, but just please be bear with me while I kind of get used to that process. But I think it sounds all right. And you'll kind of, there's only various little glitches and you kind of get the gist of what, what either of us are saying. Anyway, during the chat, we talk about misery signals, the reason why uh the sort of sorry the rise of misery signals um we talk about the reason why Stu stepped away from the band for a little while um what it was like for him to join comeback kid and now obviously adding to their legacy um and how things have now come full circle with misery signals with the upcoming release of ultraviolet so um yeah please sit back enjoy the chat i have with Stu, and i'll see you on the other side So, joining me this week on the Justin Insight podcast is guitarist of Misery Signals and Comeback Kid, Stu Ross. Stu, thank you very much for, for taking some time out of your day to have a chat with me. Um, how How is everything? It feels like, well, it's a sum, it's two summers ago since since we saw each other? Last summer, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, God, it's last summer, Jesus. Just shows how long ago. But, yeah, how how is everything in your world? Uh, pretty quiet, to be honest. I mean, obviously, with the state of the world and COVID-19, things have slowed down quite a bit. Um, yeah, I mean, this time of year, we're usually on the road and playing gigs overseas and, you know, back at home traveling and playing North America and stuff. But it's, uh, it's been pretty quiet and it's been a bit of an adjustment, to be honest. Um, a lot of free time, just kind of trying to figure out what to do with myself uh, yeah. for the foreseeable future um yeah because <laughs> because where are you are you in canada yeah i'm in vancouver so because obviously i can only go off what we kind of hear on the news and and stuff over here so how how have things kind of been dealt with in canada because obviously we we see the shit show that is the states yeah. and my country is not much better but how's how's kind of it been dealt with in canada uh i mean on the surface as far as the media goes it seems like it's being portrayed as that canada is doing a good job of containing um, outbreaks and, and whatnot. And, you know, living in Vancouver, it's kind of hard to say because um, further out in central Canada and, and eastern Canada through um, Ontario and Quebec, 
uh, there's quite a few cases and it's, it's, you know, it's running pretty rampant still. Um, but in BC, you know, Canada's response was pretty, pretty quick and thorough. I think in, in regard to, they said, okay, everybody stay home. We're going to sort this out. Everybody stay home for two weeks. You know, nobody's going to work. Nobody's uh, socializing, that sort of stuff. And uh, I think people were pretty quick to be like, okay, if that's what we got to do, that's what we got to do. And then, you know, two weeks has turned into sort of four months. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, as far as like Vancouver goes, um, you know, we're in what they call phase three at this point. Uh, so they, you know, they've, they've opened bars, they've opened parks, they've opened gyms. Um, masks are not mandatory. Uh, but I think, you know, in like a busy, uh, setting, you would, you would probably want to be wearing one. Um, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know the numbers offhand right now, but like British Columbia, like the province of British Columbia wasn't hit that badly. Um, so it, it's kind of like a weird vibe because, you know, I only know like a few people who have, uh, sort of encountered, um, COVID-19 firsthand and those are people in America. So, I mean, I, yeah, yeah. you know, not nobody in my circle at home, uh, that I know has contracted it or, you know, had, had to deal with it. So it's been kind of weird because it's just this sort of like mysterious cloak, um, that's kind of put everything on hold, but you don't see anything firsthand, which is probably a good thing. I mean, I would be, it would suck if everybody was getting sick and it was, um, you know, <laughs> that's, you know. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, no, it's cool. I mean, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, you know, like the whole, the whole thing is pretty frightening, but like Vancouver is pretty chill and the weather is good right now. So, you know, there's not too many restrictions. You can go to the gym, you can go, go for a bike ride, you can go to your friend's place for a barbecue. Um, but yeah. no concerts, no sporting events. Um, I personally, myself don't, I'm not really into like bar culture or pub culture or anything. So I don't really like go to bars or anything. So that didn't really like affect much for me. Um, so we've just had like a lot of time, you know, uh, my wife and I, we just like exercise, go to the gym, try and get out daily and, and, uh, just make the most of like kind of the, I guess, free time we have. Yeah. Yeah. I was just like, well, literally yesterday was the first day that they opened pubs and bars and stuff over here so obviously british drinking culture is is finest <laughs> so everyone was very much out back but i'm very much like you like obviously i don't i don't drink anyway so the whole bar culture is not my my scene anyway but obviously instantly like you've got the like news outlets and whatever putting po pictures of people queuing outside Weatherspoons at like 6am and stuff to get their first pint of the day. And it's just like, really? Is that, is that what you're going to do? But yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty wild what people equate with like being there, I guess, personal freedom, you know, like I saw yeah, yeah. a lot of my friends in the UK kind of posting stuff, just being like, you people are twats, use your head <laughs> yeah. priority, which, you know, like I totally understand. Um, you know, I think people want things to get back to normal and, and, part of part of those steps is like definitely not going to the pub so yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it's crazy it's like the, the same with the u.s man like i just don't even understand what's going on you've got all these like university and college students um just like partying and going to lakes and and riding tubes down rivers and it's like man these people are crazy yeah yeah well we'll get on to more exciting things and we'll talk about music and we'll talk about you so 
how I usually always like to kind of open this up is to ask, like, what kind of got you into alternative music in the first place? Can you remember what your first sort of interaction with it was? Uh, like music in general? Well, more kind of like alternative sort of style. Um, yeah, so I mean, when I was a kid, um, I, I'm trying to think what kind of came first, whether it was skateboarding or music. But uh, when I was a kid, like my exposure to music was like kind of funny. Like neither of my parents are really musical, nor do they listen to like a lot of like different music, you know, like my mom yeah. would listen to like the Pointer Sisters and Robert Palmer and Doobie Brothers. And this was all just like cassettes in the car. So that's kind of the stuff I was uh, exposed to when I was really young. Uh, my dad liked a lot of like, like country music, I guess, Elvis Presley. Yeah. Um, so that sort of stuff was around me when I was a kid, but then like, I remember getting like, uh, my, my family was in, uh, London actually for like, my dad had a business thing and, and somehow we managed to go over there and we have some family in the UK. So we were visiting as well. But, uh, I remember we went to see some musicals, uh, and we saw Phantom of the Opera and Starlight Express. Nice. Sort of stuff. And I remember, you know, getting like the double cassettes from those and that, that was like <laughs> nice. when I was a kid and then uh yeah through that like I, I can remember like you know listening to the radio and and I think like uh you know like spin doctors and stuff like that but like my sister was kind of like into I have an older sister she's about three years older than me and you know when she started getting into um you know, Red Hot Chili Peppers and Pearl Jam and bands like that. I guess that was like my first exposure to that. And yeah, and I, I like that music. Like I still I still love those bands to this day. And, and especially those records like uh, Pearl Jam 10 and Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Um, but I think through skateboarding, I kind of was exposed to, um, you know, like Metallica and um, Pantera. And that was just because like the guys that the older guys that I was like kind of hanging around with would have those t-shirts and, you know, be listening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I can remember like going to like skate demos when I was, you know, probably like 11 or 12 years old. I, I couldn't tell you exactly, but you know, getting like these like promotional cassettes. I remember there was one that had a uh, quicksand on it and I thought that was, a, yeah, like it was thorn in my side was on that cassette. And I thought that was a really cool song and that, yeah, that's just kind of like how I got into that. And then, you know, obviously like, bands like Nirvana and Green Day and stuff were coming up and getting big at that point and I was exposed to that um so yeah I guess just mostly through through uh word of mouth and and I guess a little bit of radio exposure when yeah and so where like I guess sort of quicksand in some aspects is kind of a jumping in point but like when did that sort of evolve into the more kind of like hardcore sound that people kind of associate you with now like where when did you kind of start discovering those kind of bands uh yeah probably around, i want to say like probably around like 12 or 13 years old i can remember um hearing the song a new level by pantera and just like, yeah oh what is this and that that you know from there i started uh getting into pantera and sepultura um but like on the like kind of like on the lighter spectrum of that like you know, I had a lot of friends that loved like Nirvana, but Green Day was a big, like probably like the biggest band for me, like still to this day. They're probably like the most, you know, if I had never heard Green Day, I probably would never have gotten into a lot of stuff that I got into. Yeah. But, you know, I, you know, so through Green Day, um, 
you know, I started paying attention to, I guess, like what would be like punk and, uh, you know, kind of picking up, picking up whatever little scraps I could here and there. And, you know, so through that, I got into, you know, Rancid and Pennywise and No Use for a Name and bands like that. Um, and that's, that's kind of like, you know, when you were younger, you buy the CD and then you look at everything about it. You go through all the liner notes and things like that. And, you know, a pretty like common thing back then was like the thanks list on a record. And then, yeah, then, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, 30 different bands and then you'd be like okay well i guess i gotta check out these bands and that's kind of like how i got into listening to more and more punk music i guess yeah so what like the other thing that i kind of ask because i guess yours is a bit of a not necessarily unique way because i think a lot of people discover music that way but a lot of people like they kind of put onto bands by friends and things like that but I always find it interesting, like, if there's, like, one band that you would say, I guess you, you kind of mentioned Green Day a little bit, but, like, I guess on the heavier spectrum of things, was there one band that, like, you stumbled across off your own accord that you were like, okay, this is now my band, like, this is the band that I latch onto and can relate to sort of thing? Uh, like, more specifically, like, with heavy music? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, early on, definitely, like, Metallica and Pantera. Um sepultura but like i mean if you want to jump forward like quite a bit like kind of like what got me more into like hardcore um you know like i was pretty into like kind of the fat records epitaph stuff um so you know like like strung out and good riddance like i love good riddance and then um i don't know why what connection was made there but i i was turned on to strife so i got like a right a strife seven inch um that had uh what song is it to an end was like what one of the songs but anyway um so and then i bought in this defiance and that kind of like opened up like hardcore for me i guess uh was yeah right in this defiance was probably the first like real like victory hardcore record that i got and then you know through that Snapcase, case breed um you know the victory world was kind of opened up there yeah and then in terms of you actually kind of like playing music yourself like you mentioned kind of like skateboarding and and things like that so which kind of came first like were you skating and then playing music were you playing music then skating or did they both kind of come along simultaneously i think kind of simultaneously but like i was never good at skateboarding and i think i was always (laughs) i think i was always more drawn towards like the aesthetic and the culture that surrounded it so yeah you know like i was never the guy that was like doing cool skateboard tricks but like i liked all the artwork i liked the the style and 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 the music that came along with that so i think that was more of an attraction for me um and like not being able to be good at skateboarding i was like well at least i can be a part of this culture in this regard so like i think music kind of like took a priority for me um yeah when, when i was younger like a lot of my friends owned guitars or or you know played instruments or were trying to learn how to play instruments and uh you know they'd all want to learn kind of songs that you know like nobody nobody really wanted to play like punk music you know like a lot of my friends were into like slayer and metallica and cannibal corpse and stuff like that um and i would you know be wanting to learn like a rancid song so uh eventually i think i just like kind of figured like i could just write my own music and stuff. So music definitely took a priority over uh, skateboarding, but like I definitely still 
would ride around and hang around with my friends. I just like never got good at skateboarding. So yeah, music <laughs> yeah. took the priority. And like in terms of kind of you actually like playing and things like that, obviously we know you now as the as like a very active touring guitarist and things like that. But was it guitar that you were always drawn to or did you kind of dabble with anything else before settling on guitar? Where did that all come from? Yeah, I definitely like when I was a kid, I like my my parents were very like supportive in, in me trying things out. So like I had kind of done everything under the sun uh, as far as like sports go, you know, like tried hockey, tried basketball, tried martial arts, tried everything. And, and you know, it was something that like I, I never like got into so i think you know when i told you know you're a kid and i i told my dad hey you know i want to play music he said okay well you know if you take guitar lessons for six months i'll take you seriously so i did that i did the six months and uh at that point like everybody was kind of playing guitar or playing drums so i was like oh well i'll just play bass so that was the that was the first instrument that i i guess i really spent any time with was playing bass yeah and uh you know, at that point, being into bands like Green Day and Rancid, like the bass is a very prominent, important instrument in yeah, yeah. bands. So, um, you know, I kind of cut my teeth dabbling and trying to figure out those bass lines. Um, but then, as I said, like all my friends weren't really on the same path as I was musically. So it eventually got to a point where I was like, well, if I can play bass, I can play guitar. And if I can play guitar, I can write my own songs. So I just started playing guitar. Um, and kind of, I think like of my friend group or like the kids I was playing with, <clears throat> nobody was really trying to write their own music. So it took me some time to like find other people to play music with. Um, yeah. And, you know, and again, same thing. It was like, well, we want to play like fast hardcore, but nobody plays drums. And if they do, they're playing along to like Bon Jovi or something. So I, okay, <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll figure it out. So I, you know, was a bit of like a table tapper and then I just, kind of like figured out the mechanics in my head. And I, I, you know, I played drums quite a bit when I was a teenager. Um, and then, you know, playing guitar in bands, I, I don't get to spend as much time playing drums as I would like to. I kind of think like maybe if I would have kept on playing drums, I'd probably be pretty good by now. <laughs> <laughs> but so was it a case of like, I guess the need to want to play music more than any specific instrument that you were drawn to kind of thing? Yeah, definitely. But, it, you know, like kind of like, especially with um, punk and metal, like it's all really guitar driven. So it just felt like necessity to, to play guitar and to be able to write my own songs. Mm. And I guess like that on that kind of idea of sort of like writing your own songs and things, like you said kind of your friendship group and whatever were kind of more metal leaning and things like that. Like, I don't know, like, did you just always have that creative mind of, wanting to to sort of have your own outlet because i think a lot of musicians like when they start off maybe the first thing they think of is not necessarily i want to write music it's kind of learning the basics and kind of i don't know doing cover bands and things like that but did you always kind of have in mind like oh no i, I want to kind of follow my own path rather than doing a green day ripoff band sort of thing yeah i think i just i think it was like pretty clear to me when I was a teenager that, you know, like, especially with punk music that it's like, anybody can do this. Anybody can write songs and book a tour and do this. And it's like attainable if you just like apply yourself to it. 
Um, and I think that was like a cool thing for me, just knowing that that was something that I could, I could actually do, you know, like I wasn't super academic. I wasn't super athletic, um, you know, and there was nothing that I was like particularly really good at. So it was like, mm. it was just sort of a thing that I, you know, this could be mine. I could do this. Um, and it seemed attainable and, uh, you know, like playing music with a lot of kids, you know, they get disinterested or they're like not super good at it right out the gate. So they just kind of give up. But it's like, I guess I just always saw it as something that like, if I just kept on trying at it, eventually I could, I could do it, you know? Um, yeah. Because, you know, looking at some of those, you know, those bands that I was really influenced by, especially, you know, like Green Day or Rancid or something like that. Those were like, those dudes were in their twenties when those records were coming out. So I was like, okay, if these guys can do it, I can definitely do it. Um, so yeah, I think that was kind of the driving force behind that. Hmm. And cause obviously again, I can only kind of go off my experience over here in the UK and I don't have any sort of frame of reference of what the music scene's like over in, in Canada. But like when you were growing up, were there kind of like shows that you were going to? Like, was there anything kind of like, when did you kind of start going to kind of more punk shows and things like that? Cause I guess like, being part of like the skate culture that was maybe part of hand in hand, but do you remember sort of any specific shows that you were going to when you were younger? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was, I was, it was one of those things that I was really hungry for. And you know, this obviously predates the internet. So it's like, honestly, like there would be like one flyer for a show, uh, you know, taped to a light post outside of a grocery store or there'd be a yeah, yeah. flyer up at a skate shop. Um, and especially back in the day, like, I don't know how it is now, um, cause I don't really frequent skateboard shops much, but you know, when I was coming up, that's like where you could get your information, you know, there'd be flyers for concerts and things like that. So, um, I think it was just like about find, finding out where these things were happening. And then, and then we would convince one of our parents to drop us off at these things. Um, the very first, like, you know, like where I grew up in the suburbs, there was like, a couple local bands and they would do shows at like the one sort of community hall that we had uh yeah, yeah. suburbs so i'm not completely like i think i probably would have gone to one of those shows with just like local bands um before i really kind of went to like a real sort of like edmonton punk scene show um but like the very first first like real punk show i remember going to was uh anti-flag and yeah this this band from vancouver called dbs um and another band from calgary called the everyman um and that was kind of like my first exposure to like these were smaller punk bands but they were touring punk bands um, yeah yeah so you know like and this is i don't know maybe 95 or something um but Shortly after that, I was like, okay, well, I went to a punk show and it was safe. I didn't get beat up. There wasn't like, <laughs> yeah. nobody was trying to force me to take drugs or like, you know, because that's kind of like the fear, you know, you get punks are crazy, <laughs> yeah. to get involved in that stuff. But yeah, I went and it was exciting and, it, and I loved it. Um, and from there, I just kind of like started trying to go to every show that I possibly could. Um, and I, you know, I can kind of remember as a kid, those shows, you know, I saw that after the the anti-flag show and then i think like shortly after that i would have seen it was like rancid and afi and then i saw no use for a name and 
high standard and 10 foot pole and face to face and balancing soul. So all these shows were happening, you know, like, and it, it, it's just like, all it took was for me to go to one. And then it was like, Oh, well this, this is happening like every weekend. Yeah. These yeah. Fans from like all over the world are playing in my city, which is wild. Cause I like didn't know that cause I was a kid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. So, I mean like, cause I had gone to like some bigger concerts, you know, I'd seen like Soundgarden and I'd seen Green Day in like a stadium, but you know, even like a year earlier, you know, Green Day would have been playing like a venue, like a small fuck. Yeah, yeah. That's like uh, definitely bummed that I was a little late on that. But <laughs> but yeah, this was that was sort of like my first exposure. Was just going to that one 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 punk show, and then you know the rest from there. I it just I kind of just became all that I wanted to do. And yeah. again, like it's like everything that drew me to that is you know like the music was very cool, but like I loved the aesthetic. I loved like the art i loved everything that kind of surrounded it and it just it just felt like it felt like what i've been looking for you know yeah yeah and like i guess kind of off that it might be that that same show but like was there a specific show that you can remember that you thought like oh this is obtainable for me like this is something that i can go out and do kind of thing yeah for sure i mean again talking about that band dbs um from vancouver um they're probably three or four years older than I am. And I can remember when I went to see Rancid, DBS opened, it was DBS, AFI and Rancid. And, you know, these are like 15, 16 year old kids that are on tour playing like shows. And that's when I was like, oh yeah, man, yeah. these guys, like, what did they do? Why can they do this? Like, what did they just wrote their own songs and did a record and now they're on tour? Like, cool, I guess that's something that I can do. Um, yeah, yeah. So. Yeah, it was just kind of like figuring out how to do that, um, which I didn't really figure out on my own, to be honest. Like touring seemed like such a uh, daunting, scary thing because I just didn't know how to do it, you know? So when I was younger, I would, you know, I started doing shows for touring bands that were coming through. I didn't do a lot, but, you know, uh, people would get my phone number from somebody and say, you know, this person said that you can put a show on for us and I'd, I'd do it. And I saw it as an opportunity to put my bands on the bill as well, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I did that, but, uh, you know, I didn't really get a lot of exposure to touring until I joined misery signals. You know, we, we did with my previous bands, you know, uh, we had done like a couple small sort of regional tours where we would go through BC or, you know, you know, take two weeks to go through like two provinces, which is insane. <laughs> and play like every little small town and nobody would turn up but you know we were trying to do it um but i didn't really get a lot of exposure to you know the touring world until i started playing with misery signals yeah and obviously that's kind of like where a lot of people have kind of got to know you from it's obviously misery signals and stuff but as you mentioned kind of beforehand sort of like i guess learning the ropes sort of thing you kind of we're going from bass to guitar and even drums and things. So if we go back to the very beginning, like your first kind of band, what what were you playing in that band and what, what sort of vibe was that band all about? Uh, yeah. I mean, that, that, there was phases, you know? Uh, so like the first like kind of like real band I was in was a band uh, that was first called Uncalled For with a four. And <laughs> nice. that was like a punk band. And you know, like when you're younger, you you know genres or like styles didn't really matter too much but you know like 
so with that band like i know like our drummer like loved operation ivy and i was really into yeah you know good riddance um so like i mean which are two bands that you know don't really sound alike but like to the average person they'd be like yeah whatever it's punk music um yeah yeah but so that band was just kind of like a weird mix of like us like finding bands because you know like we'd be like into like oxymoron or defiance and like sort of these more like street punk bands but then you know we're also listening to like no effects um which is you know hyper melodic kind of like skate punk so that band was just kind of weird and then like we all kind of collectively got into um like sort of like the profane existence um havoc records kind of like crusty stuff so that band kind of eventually morphed into like almost like a crusty band um and that was and by that time we had changed our name to the symbiotics which is a also a very cool name for a band (laughs) cool cool so we did that uh so that was probably like the first real band i was in we didn't really do any touring we would play you know like an hour out of the city or something but we never uh never really did any real touring with that band um and then i started playing guitar for a band called pressure point not to be confused with the California boy band. Um, it was like a, like kind of just like 10 foot pole skate punk worship right? kind of stuff. And uh, again, like that band was like, they were a pretty good band and they were like a three piece. And then I started playing guitar and then um, I just kind of like, you know, again, I, I saw that as a vehicle to like, kind of like get somewhere. So we, uh, that band we started kind of like recording and and trying to play shows quite a bit and then you know we went through like a few different drummers and all this sort of stuff um and then again eventually like that band started as like a skate punk band and eventually ended up sounding like great or hot water music because that's like what we were listening to and it kind of yeah yeah that sort of stuff um and that was sort of like the last band i was in before misery signals we had another band like right at the tail end that was called the hollywood ending which is also another great, terrible name for a band. Um, <laughs> which I think some of that stuff's on YouTube, and I'm not actually like super embarrassed by that stuff because we That's were cool. like pretty good, like pretty good players at, by that point. Um, and again, that was like you know I was starting to get influenced. Like you know I'd gone through uh, you know Grade and Hot Water Music, Small Brown Bike, um, and you know a lot of Equal Visions record stuff like that's when we were starting to get into like saves the day and um bands like piebald and stuff like that so that sound the hollywood ending stuff is kind of like more like like especially in western canada too like kind of like techie punk was kind of a thing like like odd okay. odd time signatures and like not really like shreddy but just like really like i guess kind of arty in a sense i don't know um but yeah, so that band that band was kind of cool, and that was like the last band that I played in before Misery Signals. Yeah, and then in terms of kind of like you said, obviously, like in terms of big scale touring, obviously it wasn't until you got to Misery Signals, but you'd done a little bit here and there with the previous bands, sort of thing. So, what was your kind of like, as you said, kind of having this idea of tour as this kind of big, scary, kind of daunting thing? Like when you finally kind of made that leap and started playing further afield and things like what was your kind of experience of that like did you have any expectations of what tour was going to be like 
did it kind of meet them was it better than you were expecting how did that go yeah i mean i didn't i'm not sure that i really had an expectation i kind of you know i kind of think like just because the band was based in america and you know hardcore and metalcore and stuff in america was was happening at that point it was like a, a big thing so you know like i think maybe i kind of thought like oh i'm gonna join this band and, and we're gonna be a big band like it this yeah happened, you know um but i mean when we dove you know when i dove into those touring with misery signals you know a lot of it you know the first year or so i was in the band was basement shows uh really small bars jumping on any show we could get on you know and it was really uh it was really like kind of just like flying by the seat of our pants kind of thing like we would have a tour booked um and you know we'd have a month full of dates and every day we'd just be playing somewhere even if you know some days it was a 45 minute drive other days it was a 10 hour drive it's just like mm. um we were just going 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 um so my expectations were not really existent beyond like i thought like okay well we're gonna do it i'm gonna be in a band and you know this could be big and um you know it felt like there was some buzz around misery signals at the time that i joined them you know seven angels seven plagues had broken up uh, and this was like, you know, they were like kind of growing and poised to be like a bigger band. And then um, Misery Signal started and it was just an opportunity for me to like dive in head first. And it, it's kind of like not typical or characteristic of me because I'm pretty like methodical, I guess. So like when the opportunity to join the band was there, I just said like, yo, I'll do it like in passing kind of like probably <laughs> yeah. about it. And then it was a thing, you know, like, then it was like, okay, well, I guess you better learn the songs because we have a tour in April or something. And I was like, okay. So I just started learning the songs and jumped on tour. Yeah. And as you kind of touched upon there, like, obviously I was sort of growing up at a period of time when that upward trajectory of Misery Signals was kind of very prominent. Like, I think, uh, obviously, of Malice, was like the album that kind of shaped a lot of people my age is kind of like that kind of if you were into metal and hardcore that was kind of like the tipping point of like you either that album like either went you went into the hardcore realm because of that album or that album was a bit too hardcore and you were like oh, i'm not too sure about this sort of thing yeah but then obviously like mirrors came out as well and that was kind of like skyrocketing sort of thing. So I don't want to kind of go through the history of the band because I think that's been well documented, but like to be part of that sort of like monster and seeing it grow, what was it like being in that at the time? And kind of, I guess from an inward point of view, seeing the buzz grow. Yeah. I mean, so just to touch on it quickly, I think one thing that is kind of like interesting about Misery Signals is that I don't think any of us were really ever like super into metalcore. <laughs> so like, yeah, you know, we were writing this style of music that was, I guess, categorized as metalcore, but it was like, you know, we had really like, like drastic uh, influences between us, you know, like, like I said, I was into a lot of like punk and skate punk and Ryan comes from a world that's more you know, Rage Against the Machine and um, almost like alternative rock that he was into, Hum and bands like that, Deftones. And, uh, you know, Jesse was very much into Madball and Sick of It All and bands like that. And Kyle loves like classic rock and Brandon loves drumming, 
in general. So, <laughs> you know, we were never setting out to be like, oh, we need to write a record that sounds like Martyr AD or something. You know, we were just like writing music and it was pretty melodic and it was heavy and that just kind of like came together that way. Um, and sorry, so I've kind of dodged the question, but you're asking about like what, if it was noticeable, like the feeling like the band was getting bigger? Yeah, or just kind of like, just being in part of it, like what was it kind of like seeing more people paying attention to the band and kind of get that like that buzz that you saw when you joined, like seeing that grow? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it was obviously very exciting. And it, it was like, especially sort of in Canada, we noticed like a big, a big jump really quick, maybe because that was sort of like that wave uh, kind of hit a little later in Canada than it did in the US. So it was like, with us being like kind of a half Canadian band, um, you know, it was it was really noticeable in places like Vancouver and Edmonton, Toronto, Montreal, um, where that scene was kind of growing and um, we were kind of on the forefront of it in a weird way. Uh, mm. I'm not sure why that was, but like, you know, those places were always really, really, really supportive of us. Um, <clears throat> especially like in the States too, you know, like the Northeast and New York city, um, California, Southern California was always really great. Um, it, it, you know, it was, it was exciting to be a part of for sure. And it, that's not to say that the band ever got enormous, you know, like, you know, we were a band that felt like we were always kind of like climbing, but then we sort of like plateaued at where, where we're at. And we've kind of like sat at that point for a long time where it's like, not we're not a big band but we were like just about kind of big you know <laughs> i don't know yeah because um, there's definitely like certain markets and and certain shows that we played in the past that you know we're like wow this is crazy you know um but you know you're always kind of sort of chasing that and when it's happening i'm not completely sure that uh i was registering it you know what i mean because you always when you're chasing something you always want something bigger and better so um i think it was we knew the band was getting bigger and it was exciting and it you know obviously when you're playing shows and people are like singing along and know the words and um it definitely makes you feel important or accomplished uh, mm. but i don't ever think like we were at a point where we we're like we made it this is it you know i think we're like, <laughs> yeah. always kind of chasing that um yeah well i guess like because the other thing that i always kind of ask and I guess you kind of touched upon it a bit there but like was there a, a moment because I, I don't know like it might just be the perspective I've got as someone from the UK that views Misery Signals but there's there's almost kind of like if you're a fan of Misery Signals like you're fully in sort of thing like you're not it's not like a half foot in half foot out sort of thing like you either love the band or like it's not your cup of tea kind mm -hmm. of thing so so was there kind of like a moment when you guys kind of realized like oh like people further afield than the states and canada do give a shit about us and like not that like as you say we're this big band kind of thing but like people were paying attention and people care about this band yeah definitely and i think misery signals has always had like a <clears throat> i don't know if cult following is the right term but it's like you're right like people who love like misery signals like love misery signals and like live and die for the band you know like yeah yeah a lot of people who are kind of you know one foot in one foot out um 
so I think there's something to be said for that. It just in the, in the sense that like, I think we have been lucky to have um, a loyal following of people who like the band and it. And I think like, you know, have stuck with the band through, through all the albums. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I think as far as like melodic hardcore metalcore goes, like, I think we found our niche and we ran with it. And I, I think people, um, enjoy that and have, have stuck with the band. Hmm. And just in uh, going back to kind of like the touring element of things, as you say, like when you kind of got in, joined the band and sort of were going on these tours and sort of realized like, Oh no, this is what an actual touring band is kind of like sort of thing. Like more specifically in those kind of early days of the band, were there any sort of tours that kind of stand out in the memory of kind of like significant moments for you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, like sort of like the first like big, not big, but first like extensive uh, tour I ever did with the band was like kind of, you know, I, I joined the band in, I think it was April 2003. Yeah. And we did a, a tour with Figure Four, which is Andrew from Comeback Kids, old band, him and Jeremy had a band called Figure Four. And we toured yeah. them. And then from there, we jumped into this tour that was like three months long with Barrier Dead, where we basically just, oh, wow, we just like circled the US like twice. Like, I remember we like started in the Midwest. We did like the entire United States. We were back in Milwaukee for like three days. And then we just like did it all again. And it was like, it was crazy. <laughs> Fuck it, it, out. it was like 60 or 70 days or something, like just like the whole summer, like May through August. We were just like touring in the US. And it was just like, it was fun, man. Like at that point, it wasn't like, we weren't making money, but we were able to play every day and we had enough money to like keep the van running and yeah, yeah. staying at people's houses and meeting people. And I mean, that's, that's another thing that was like super exciting about that. Right. Is it's like meeting all these people and meeting other bands and like kind of just finding common ground with all these people. And I guess that kind of circles back to like what we were talking about when I was younger, like knowing that I wanted to do this thing, but not really having, uh, a lot of friends that wanted to pursue the the same um, goals. So it was like, it's really cool to travel, especially at that age and, and meet all these people. And it, it was all really exciting, to be honest. Um, that tour sticks out a lot. But um, sort of when we started doing, I guess what you would call like, more like, like larger tours um, was sort of when we, we, we did the deal with Ferret and, you know, instantly like at that point that's like when labels were really helping out and pushing to get bands on tours especially younger bands which is yeah. still a thing but like uh i just haven't been in a, a younger band in a long time and when i say young <laughs> like as far as like the the existence of the band yeah yeah but with misery signals you know like we signed with ferret we did the record like we did malice and then like as soon as we were finished recording malice it was like ferret was like okay sick well we got you this tour with it was Dillinger Escape Plan. Uh, who else was on the tour? Dillinger Escape Plan, Every Time I Die, Zayo, and you guys. And that was like, wow, that's like a crazy Fuck, tour. Fuck, that's but, ridiculous. But I'm kind of missing something too. Like the first big tour we did, I guess, was like the Ferret Music Tour, which would have been, it was like Zayo headlining, Remembering Never, 12 Tribes, Us, and another band called Scarlet, which were all just bands on Ferret. Um, but that felt like the first like big tour that I ever did. Um, and the, those weren't like huge venues, you know, but, um, there were probably, you know, 
two to 500 cap rooms, but like people were turning up and it was like, you know, the first tour that I was ever on where it was like, there was a tour manager. There was a guy who was like, this is what time you're playing. Like shows, yeah. those weren't running till two in the morning. Like, there wasn't 16 bands. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was like, here's a venue with a sound system and security and dressing rooms and, oh, a rider like here here's some drink tickets or like peanut butter sandwiches or something you know like (laughs) like, whoa this is crazy um and that was sort of like the first tour i guess that we did that was like a real tour um and then you know after that we we kind of just started doing like pretty awesome tours after that um we were always we were always on the road though so it was like we would do these sort of like higher profile tours uh and then we just do headlining stuff around it just to keep busy so i think that was like a very helpful thing with the band because you know we would do these headlining shows and people would come see us after they'd seen us open for these larger bands so you know we did we did some pretty cool tours after that you know like a you know darkest hour and bleeding through um we toured quite a bit with zeo back then um we did some norma jean stuff like all that sort of stuff that was like kind of like building building block tours that that definitely assisted the band in, in becoming like more of our own sustainable um, attraction for people to come see. Yeah, yeah. And as I as I mentioned earlier, like obviously my first sort of interaction with you guys was was with Malice, and like obviously fandom grew from from there. And I think like it's weird, like still, well for me still today, like that's an album I will happily put on whenever sort of thing, like. And all these years later, like, it still fucking holds up. So do you still, like, do you revisit it? Like, or are you one of those people, like, once an album's done, like, you can't sort of go back for it for a while? No, I always listen to my own music. And, like, that might sound kind of funny, but, like, um, you know, I don't listen, you know, I don't, like, put on Malice, like, regularly or anything. But yeah, yeah. sometimes, like, a song will come on shuffle or, you know, if I'm feeling, like, nostalgic, I'll listen to the, the entire record. Um, that album in particular is really funny just because it's so unique in its production style. Um, and you know, we've talked about like getting it remixed or remastered, which we may do someday, but it's like, I feel like that record has such a unique identity just because of the way it's recorded and the way it's mixed. Like, you know, we recorded that album in a, in like an awesome studio with an awesome producer with Devin and, you know we spent like a month recording this thing and then it was mixed in like seven hours. You know what I mean? Like we, we literally like <laughs> finished the last guitar chord at like, you know, or the last, whatever we were recording. We finished, we finished recording at let's say like 8 PM on Friday. And, you know, we just mixed until like 4 AM on Saturday. And then we like got in the van and drove home and it was like, okay, record's done. <laughs> but it's just crazy to think like you put like, especially now with like the way that like, you know, Misery Signals or Comeback Kid records records, like, the mix is such an important part of the album, you know, it's, it's, it, yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah, but when we mixed Malice, it was really just, like, we were all just sitting in a room, and we're like, yeah, it sounds great, and we'd be like, oh, can you turn that part up a little bit, crank it up a little bit, but, like, just pretty funny, pretty funny to, like, think about, like, putting all this money into doing a record, and then putting all this time, like, recording it, and, like, and then just the mix was, like, turn a few knobs, so yeah i yeah that that record's cool i i'm i'm still proud of it to this day and i think like it does it does have a you know i i talk about this quite a bit with like other bands like when bands are in their infancy and they're kind of like finding their sound 
sometimes that's when like their their best records happen and i'm not being like those mm. guys who's like i only like the demo but like um, <laughs> yeah. you know i think so that record is just like i think it's a great representation of like who we were as people like we we're just like young energetic kids um and i think it you know it speaks to a lot of our influences um yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm still super proud of that record, and I would love to hear it remixed, to be honest. But again, like I would, yeah. I wouldn't want to take away from like, I guess like the whatever makes that record what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I just want to kind of like a bit of a sort of a personal story that around that record, but it's kind of more up to date. So, are you aware of um, a band here in the UK called Employed to Serve? Yes, I know the name. Uh, yeah heard a little bit of it I, uh, I think it's one of those things where i like heard the name downloaded it listened to the song it's like yeah it's pretty cool and then just like didn't yeah dive much more into it to be honest well the, the reason i bring it up so uh their vocalist and guitarists uh sammy and justine they well end of last year they got married but they had uh, a bit of an unconventional um stag and hendy whereas they basically they put on a, a gig for their stag and hen awesome uh, it, it was all just like mates bands and things like that and um, the band that kind of headlined it were a band called We Never Learn to Live and they opened their set with a cover of A Victim and Target and the room just went fucking nuts <laughs> so it was just yeah it was just a really kind of weird kind of crossover of two worlds coming together for what was essentially a massive party which was really fun. Oh that's awesome. Yeah, it's, um, but then oh sorry, go. On. No, I was gonna say it's kind of crazy. Like I, you know, over the years, there's people that like their weddings. Like you know, they'll like walk down the aisle to Worlds and Dreams or like something like that. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. But so then, if we kind of like move on in in terms of like where you were, so you obviously stepped away from the band for for a period of time. So what what was the kind of like reasoning behind that? Was it just kind of you needed time away like where did that kind of come into things i did and it, it's you know at the time it seemed like such a huge thing like oh i'm leaving the band or whatever and okay like how do i break this down so basically yeah we had been touring really hard for a lot of years um which in now it doesn't seem like it, it was that long but you know we had been at it for you know six or seven eight years touring really hard and we were like I said earlier, you know, when you're kind of like putting so much of yourself into something, um, sometimes the results are never enough. And yeah. I, you know, we, we had been touring so hard, so hard, so hard. And, uh, I'm, I'm Canadian and I had been living in the U S um, between tours and it wasn't bad living. It was great. Like I was living with the guys and we were living and breathing the band 24 seven. Um, but it just got to a point where, you know, I, I was away from home. I was away from, uh, I had just started uh, dating my now wife uh, at the time. And, you know, again, we had just been touring super hard and I just didn't feel like I had a lot of time to do other things, I guess. And yeah, it wasn't that I didn't want to be in a band because I, I left Misery Signals and basically stepped right into playing with another band called living with lions. That's like a, yeah. more like a punk band. Um, 
but yeah, I don't know. I just, I think I just kind of got to the end of it. We, we did this tour with uh, the Amity Affliction from Australia who were buddies of ours and we were over there and they were just like blowing up and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think, you know, not to say like, I, I mean, definitely like in, in some way with Misery Signals, one thing that has always been hard. Uh, and I, I don't want to say this in a way that like sounds mean or harsh but it's like a lot of bands that we toured with a lot of bands that we took on tour just kind of seemed to to grow and get bigger than us you know um mm. hard to watch these bands that uh we would take out on tour sort of just like get past us and, and become bigger bands. yeah yeah and like i'm not trying to like toot our own horn but like you know a lot of bands will talk about how they're like influenced by us or like you know like oh we take a lot of you know our sound from like what misery signals did and then it's like you know we just kind of just never grew and, and that was like frustrating for me i think in a sense just after putting years and years into something um you know especially with like an album like controller that like we were so so proud of and we put so much work into it and people liked it like i'm not saying that it wasn't well received but it still just wasn't the record that like you know took us to the next level yeah yeah so when when we went into this this tour with Amity Affliction, um, it was a super fun tour and it was great. And it, you know, it was, as far as Australia goes, it was like the biggest shows we'd ever played in Australia. Um, they had just released Youngbloods and that was like, you know, some of the rooms were like 2000 cap rooms and we were just like, holy shit, this is crazy. Like they were great shows. And, and, but I, I just think I just got to a point where I was like, if I'm not doing something that is like making me completely happy and I'm putting everything else in my life on hold, uh, maybe just maybe I need to try something different and uh, I think that sentiment was shared with Kyle like our bass player him and I yeah kind of had this conversation and, and brought it to the band and just said look you know I don't I don't, I don't think the next step of the band is gonna include us um, and <sighs> there was something else I was getting at oh it you know we were sort of talking about like okay we need to write we need to write a new record so this would have been 2010. So two years after Controller was released. Yeah. We were like, okay, it's about time that we start writing. But there's a lot of like changes going on. You know, Ryan had just had his first kid. Um, and it just seemed, it just seemed like things were changing. And I didn't really know. I wasn't really interested in writing another Misery Signals record at that, at that time. Um, yeah. And like, that's another thing with all those sort of like our peer bands like those bands are really great musicians for the most part and again like I've always just been more of like a, a punk rock guitar player so I, I wasn't sure that I could start writing stuff that was going to take the band to the next level I think it was just a lot of you know just a product of the environment that I was in and I just didn't feel like it just didn't feel like it was the next step for me at that time mm. and you mentioned that like obviously it wasn't kind of the end of the music so you then with life, which until I did my sort of like research book before this, I didn't even realize you were part of that band. So that's kind of like a bit of naivety on my kind of part because I don't know, like when I discovered that band, like I didn't have it associated with obviously Misery Signals in any shape or form, mm -hmm. but lo and behold, there you are. Sort yeah. of thing. So was it like, I don't know, was it just, I guess, because you said like having that kind of not being in the mindset of wanting to write a Misery Signals album, was this just like 
a new outlet that you kind of wanted to explore like how did like becoming part of that band and then obviously being the singer in that band like was that something that you wanted to try out like where how did that all come about um i mean i've i had known known the guests and just to be clear you kind of cut out for a second but you're talking about living with lines yes yeah <laughs> um, so i had known those guys for like a few years leading up to that just coming through vancouver uh they were mutual friends with another band from vancouver called the textbook tragedy um who were like just like a metalcore band uh, yeah yeah that we were buddies with and uh so i just known those guys for years and again like i love like punk music and living with lines uh you know some of their earlier records are very like uh of that sound you know like bands like face to face and and um that sort of style uh which is music that I that I love. So um, yeah, it was just kind of like a, the timing was there. Like Bill, who was playing bass in, uh, he's the bass player from A Textbook Tragedy, who is now the bass player in a band called Spirit Box, who are fantastic. And people should know about that band if they don't. But Bill was playing with Living With Lines at that point and had said, hey, like Living With Lines singer isn't in the band anymore. We have these tours coming up. We're trying to finish a record do you want to like sing on the record and do the tours, like just try it out or whatever. So uh, yeah, the timing just kind of happened right when I was having these thoughts about leaving misery signals. So it just kind of happened that way. It wasn't, it wasn't like a planned approach or anything. I like, I knew mm. leaving misery signals and then yeah, that opportunity to do living with lines was just there. And they're like, I, I love the dudes in that band and we were buddies. So it, it was a really easy transition and it was fun. And it was like, um, after grinding it out with Misery Signals for so long, it just felt like something fresh and new and it was fun. And like the dynamic was different, you know, like, and that's not to say that I wasn't getting along with the guys in Misery Signals, but we'd spent so much time together, you know, and it, it was like exciting to be making music with different people and, and totally like a totally different sound from what Misery Signals was doing. Mm. And in terms of you kind of like stepping into the vocal sort of role, like, was that sort of something that you like you enjoyed was it a sort of a dawning challenge and like was it again was it just something that you wanted to try out uh yeah i think a little bit of both i remember when bill hit me up i was like thought that he was going to ask me about guitar which i would have been like yeah fuck yeah i'll play guitar <laughs> yeah uh, and when he said singing i was like uh, i can try you know so i like did like a demo and they were like yeah it's good enough and like did <laughs> i would hate to hear it now like i'm sure it's fucking terrible um and I mean, like recording that the vocals for that record was funny because it's like I had zero experience. So it was like a lot, a lot, a lot of trial and error. And the, the guy that engineered it, like, thank God he was patient, you know, because like we just we would just like hammer out like eight and ten hours a day of just like vocal takes. And he was just like, go, fucking we'll, we'll make it work, you know. Um, and like the vocals on Holy Shit are probably really like comp like i assume like none of it is like a straight performance you know like a lot of it is just like this word is good this word is good this word is good okay we need these words um and it's funny like you know through like the time that i was actually singing for that band like i was a pretty bad singer so it's like like now being you know 10 years on from that like i feel like i'm still not like a great singer but i understand the way that my vocal range works and like yeah, yeah, I have a better understanding of like how to sing now. You know, like a few years ago, we did 
some sh like I still play with living with lions like here and there like in whatever capacity they need me to do like sometimes they need somebody to play bass for like a show or for a tour and I'll do it because like they're great friends of ours and I mean yeah two of the guys from living with lions like the two main dudes in living with lions are in comeback yet as well now so it's like uh we're very like incestuous in that sense um but you know like a couple years back they had a tour booked and this was like right before their new record was coming out but the, the guitar player who was now singing chase had like a pretty bad hernia and he was like yo i want to do these shows but like i can't sing like there's no way i can sing right now uh it's, do you want to just sing and all play bass and i was like all right sure so like you know like, i'm not the thinking <laughs> for the band but we did like these like four shows where i just sang and i was like we were like laughing because we were like fuck those are probably like the best four shows i ever played performance wise just because like, like what? <laughs> actually i like, have some idea of like how to sing now um yeah sorry i'm just like run, running off no, no 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 that's cool man that's cool i appreciate it um Oh, you kind of mentioned sort of like obviously them guys be some of the guys that are living in lines of income by kid obviously now you're like income by kids so how did that kind of come about obviously you mentioned knowing andrew from from before as well yeah so like was it just through association of knowing him that you became part of the band and then kind of on a, a wider aspect because obviously at that point, Comeback Kid have already got this momentum behind them. They're already kind of considered a staple of the worldwide hardcore scene. So what was it like joining that band and kind of knowing they already had this reputation behind them? Uh, yeah, where to begin? I mean, Comeback Kid has <laughs> always been one of my favorite bands. You know, like when we were touring with Three or Four back in the day, they had just started Comeback Kid. There was a demo. And then when Turn It Around came out, I was like, damn, this is like, this is like the music that I like love. Like it's like yeah. skate punk, but it's like a hardcore band, you know, it's like, it's got like octaves and like a lot of like melodic elements, but it's still like got like really hard breakdowns. And I, I you know, I just like instantly fell in love with Comeback Kid. And then when Wake the Dead came out, I was just like, it's done. It's over. There's never a better record. <laughs> yeah. But so we had known those guys for years. And again, like Comeback Kid being a Canadian band and being again, like as far as like, punk or hardcore goes like being a higher profile band in the country um you know so we did some touring with comeback kid we did like a couple canadian runs we did like a european run and and i'm saying um comeback kid and misery signals uh so, yeah you know we had already known each other for a really long time um and i'd become friends with their at the time their guitar player casey um him and i got along really well we just just good buddies um, so at that point when Casey was like leaving the band, I was playing with living with lions and, uh, still just really good friends with those guys. And, uh, Casey said, Hey, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to leave comeback kid. And he's like, you should totally play guitar for comeback kid. Um, and I was like, you're right. I should play guitar for comeback. <laughs> so, uh, uh, at that point, and especially too, you know, after grinding out with like living with lions for like a year or so, like, um, it was all fun, but it was like. I think I knew that like, if I wanted to keep doing this long-term that like, it wasn't going to happen with living with lions. Um, yeah. And I did miss playing guitar, you know, like playing guitar is such a like huge part of like who I am, you know, and I just wasn't really playing guitar. And uh, so when Casey was like, yo, I'm going to leave the band. I was like, all right, well, I'm, I'm going to play guitar for the band. So I just like instantly just started like bugging Andrew, like via text message, just being like, 
yo, let me do this tour like that they had coming up that they need a guitar player for. Uh, and he was like, yeah, yeah, okay. Like, yeah, we'll see. I just don't want to like bum out the Lions guys. And I was probably just like, I don't care. Like, I'll do it. <laughs> I'm going to do it. Like, just like, let's roll with it. Um, so yeah, I just kind of like teased and bugged him via text for a long time and then just started learning the songs. And I did that tour and it was one of those things where it was like, yeah, we'll try it out, see how the tour goes. Um, so I did that tour and then it was like, okay, well, we got another tour in like two weeks. And then I was on that tour. And then, uh, it was one of those things where, you know, after doing that for like a year, kind of being like, well, am I in the band? And it was never like, <laughs> um, and me being the, the person that I am, I'm just kind of pushy and just kind of like forced my way into the position. And then I was like, I'm in the band. And then, you know, we got <laughs> it was time to write a new record. And I was like, well, I want to write for the record. And they're like, I don't know and it was like I was like well here are these songs and they're like oh okay and I'm like use this one and just kind of like forced my way into the fold you know yeah yeah um and then like can I break for like one second yeah yeah of course man Sorry about that, man. Um, no, that's cool. Yeah, so I just kind of, like, um, forced my way into the band. <laughs> yeah. So then in terms of, like, kind of then getting the ball rolling with that and, and stuff, because, as I said, like, Comeback had, had already had this kind of reputation and stuff. So, and I guess we kind of touched upon, like, Misery Signals had this almost kind of cult following, but was it, like, surreal to kind of see the following that Comeback had had and still have to this day? Like... Of a bit of a culture shock for you or because you'd kind of grown up seeing them guys and kind of playing with them guys in the past like you were kind of used to it straight off the bat yeah uh definitely i think like you know i had always viewed comeback kid as like a, a bigger band you know like I, and um so joining the band though like you know obviously there was like a lot of like really it was really exciting uh because they're definitely a band like you know like like playing wake the dead with comeback kid at like a festival or like even like a, yeah, yeah. Like crazy it's like a crazy thing because it's like that song is like such a big thing so there was there was points of playing with the band where i was like whoa this is fucking crazy but uh it's like again it touches on kind of like what we were talking about earlier though like comeback kid is a successful band they have like a long history um and you know we'll continue to put out records and we'll continue to be like a, a touring band is i think Dude, I'm, I think that band will go on forever, you know? I think it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're, we're going to be like 60-year-old 60 year old dudes on tour, I think. But um, like anything else, uh, you know, all the excitement and all the, the cool stuff kind of like plateaus at a point, you know? And it's yeah, um, not to like go too far off, off path here, but it's like one thing that like, you know, I've thought about a lot, especially in the last few months with like not being able to tour and sort of like having being in a band and that part of my identity kind of taken away is like 
uh, I feel like I'm going to have a new appreciation for that stuff uh, again. You know, like it's it's going to feel yeah back to it and like kind of shed all the. Not that there's like a lot of negativity, but you know, like you do you do anything long enough, and you start to find problems with it. Um, yeah, of course. And nothing internally. Like I love all those guys. We're all great friends. But just like the grind of being on tour and sort of like the Groundhog Day elements of it, you know, um, can get tiring. And uh, so even on a great day when you're playing a festival to twenty thousand people and you're having like the time of your life, you're still like, oh shit, I'm tired. I want to go to bed. Like you know. Where yeah, you yeah. should be like, this is the best. I love this, you know. Um, so I'm looking forward to getting back to that. But to come back full circle, um, yeah, joining Comeback Kid was like crazy because they're a band that I loved musically, mm. and uh, they are a band that has had great success. And you know, I've been lucky enough to be uh, present for a lot of that. Um, yeah, you know, and miss. You know, I did miss like the the sort of the heyday of you know, the rise of Wake the Dead and stuff like that. Um, but those songs still resonate with people. And when we play those songs, people still love it. So it's cool. It's yeah. kind of cool. Like, um, you know, being able to play in a band like Misery Signals that has like an album like of Malice that people like love and think is a very important record to that genre. And then to also be able to play in Comeback Kid and play those songs that they wrote that are so important to so many people. It's kind of cool. It's like, it's like kind of like getting to be in Metallica and, <coughs> and Megadeth or, you know, like <laughs> obviously on like a different scale, but yeah, no, that's cool. But then in terms of, like, as you say, like kind of like forcing your way into the band and then getting to the point of like adding to that legacy of, of, of Combat Kid, like, I, I don't know, because obviously, like, as you say, they kind of already had this back catalog of, of albums and stuff. And I don't know, it might be, like just my perception of like what I'd be like in that position. But as you said, like you're very forceful in, in that sense, but were you, was there a sense of trepidation of like, Oh, I don't know if this is like the right way to approach a comeback kid song. Or were you just, were you very confident of like, no, this is how I want to put my stamp on what comeback kid is. This is the Stu Ross approach to comeback kid. Uh, it's, it's definitely a challenge because I think like my perception of what comeback kid is is very different from their perception and and you'd think like those guys would be like all right well we've done this x amount of times here we go here's another like melodic hardcore song and it's you know it's that easy but it's like those guys are ever evolving as uh, mm. songwriters and things like that you know um andrew is a very like eclectic uh musician you know like he writes a lot of really cool interesting different music and he's always kind of trying to take the next step so you know whereas like i will write a song for comeback kid and it'll be you know here's the verse here's the chorus here's the breakdown here's the octave chords classic comeback kid just sing on it you know <laughs> yeah. uh, you might just be like oh, i've been there done that you know i'm not trying to do that again so that's a bit of a struggle because like i want to write music for comeback kid that i think represents my perception of comeback kid um whereas those guys are just trying to write the next record for for the band i don't know like it's, it's kind of like a hard thing to explain i guess being like a person who is an outsider coming into the band yeah i feel like i need to write music that sounds like comeback kid whereas those guys are just writing music and whatever music they write yeah yeah be comeback kid, if that makes sense 
Yeah, yeah, no, no, I get that. Like, you've got a kind of almost like um, kind of like a like a cloud over your head of like this is what your expectations are, whereas like they're like no, 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 we're we're over here, sort of thing. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah, and it, it's a weird thing because again, like some of those early records that they did, you know, that like I think broadcasting is the best comeback hit record, but those yeah. guys hate it. You know, they're like, oh, it's, oh really? that's our worst record. And I'm like, dude, it's got some of the, like, sickest comeback kid, like, guitar parts. And, like, overall, I just think it's such a cool record. And uh, those guys don't like it. They don't like playing the songs and stuff. And, like, part of me, like, well, if you just played the songs more, you'd realize that people like it, you know? <laughs> uh, so, again, yeah, you know, like, when I'm writing stuff for the band, I want it to sound like broadcasting or Wake the Dead, whereas those guys are always progressing you know yeah where they want to take the band so it's it writing is always interesting like especially with us being in like everybody's isolated at this point too like we're sending a lot of demos back and forth um trying to pep, prep for writing a new record now uh and yeah it's wild man like jeremy sent a ton of stuff that like is very jeremy and i think it sounds very comeback kid and andrew sent some songs where like some of them i'm like yeah this is a comeback kid song and then some of them i'm like what is going on here? This is really weird. <laughs> and again, I think my stuff's kind of in the middle where it's like, I just kind of write stuff that I think is fitting for the band. Um, but it's kind of, kind of the cool thing that I've come to realize, you know, writing music for Misery Signals or writing music for Comeback Kid is that uh, the vocals will just always really determine whether it is like, you know, you could write something that's totally out of the box, but as soon as you put like, one of those vocalists on it it becomes like you know a misery signal song or a comeback kid song yeah i think the vocals really sort of like just can make make any song a comeback kid song if andrew's singing on it you know and yeah 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 you know so and it's a wild thing and then to kind of come full circle obviously like you rejoin misery signals and that becomes an active band again as as not that it never wasn't, but it was kind of laying dormant for a little while and, and things like that. So why cool. did you, was it just a case of time, like the perfect, like timing stars aligned for you to go back to Misery Signals? Like, or was it just a conversation that was had? Like, how did you kind of go back into that fold? Well, in an intro, like, you know, in hindsight, it's kind of funny because I'm not even sure that I necessarily would have had to quit the band to do the things that I wanted to do. Because at that point, Misery Signals did become very inactive. Um, yeah. Ryan, Ryan was a new father and his, his, his life was changing quite a bit. He had moved from Milwaukee to Boise and things had really slowed down with the band anyway. Um, and that's not to say like Kyle and I leaving didn't make things harder, you know, that definitely like slowed things down quite, quite a bit, but you know, uh, in like the grand scheme of, of Misery Signals, I think like I missed like three tours you know in the yeah. band. um but for them you know doing like absent light i almost feel like that's like a record that couldn't have happened if i was in the band uh it's very dark and it's very like progressive and it's very like it's very metallic for misery signals mm. um i think it like really represents like you know that period of the band and uh i think there's a very noticeable difference between you know malice mirrors controller ultraviolet and absent light you know like I, I think it's pretty 
if you're into the band, you will notice that I guess there's elements that are different from those other records. Um, but how it came to be was sort of we did the the 10 year anniversary tour for of Malice and Magnum Heart, and uh, that tour in itself was just like I think it was very cathartic for everyone in a sense because yeah. because everyone had sort of grown apart through all that you know like Kyle hadn't been in the band for a while and then he had come back sort of near the end of Absent Light and was playing bass for the band again um you know I hadn't really spoken with Ryan and Brandon a lot over those years and then you know especially Jesse like none of us had really kept in great touch with Jesse through the years there was a there was a lot of animosity between all of us I think mm. uh, nothing that was ever like really overtly vocalized to one another. But I think there was a lot of stuff that was underlying that we didn't really ever talk about. Um, and doing those shows, I think was kind of like, uh, as I said, like it was very cathartic. There was a lot of time in the van. Um, and I mean, with it being like a special occasion, there was a lot of reflection and talking about, you know, back in the day and good old shows and these experiences and these stories. Um, and we spent a lot of time talking and communicating on that tour. Uh, and it was very short, um, but those shows were so, so special. You know, some of the best shows that the band has ever played and probably will ever play, um, you know, particularly Vancouver, Edmonton, Toronto, New York City. Those shows were like some of the best shows uh, I'll probably ever play in my life just because they were so meaningful. Yeah. Um, because those shows, you know, for some people, it might have been the first time seeing the band, but for a lot of people, like, that was people coming together to celebrate this this record that, like, has so much meaning and has, has had such a large impact on their lives. Um, so, I mean, yeah, take all that into account and, like, you know, all the emotion and the excitement and the fun that surrounded that. Um, you know, it was kind of an opportunity where, you know, I'd, with Ryan, you know, I'd, we were talking about, I was, you know, maybe I had said, like, oh, well, you know, next time you guys do a record, like, I wouldn't mind, like, like, helping out or writing a couple songs if you're, like, open to that. And then, you know, that kind of turned into us being like, okay, well, let's write some songs. And the intention originally was to still keep Greg in the fold, the the guy that had been playing guitar while I was out of the band. Um, and we were like, okay, well, let's, like, write some songs and then we'll run them by Greg and, like, see his take on them. Um, but then the process just became, like, really long and drawn out. Um, you know, it took us like years and years and years to write just because we'd get together, we'd write some songs, we'd demo them, we'd sit on them for like three months and be like, wait, no, this isn't good. And then, you know, we'd go back and like rewrite songs or like completely trash other songs. Um, and then eventually it just got to a point where like, I think Greg had moved on, you know, with he's, he engineers and produces right. music. Um, and he was busy, you know, doing and, um, so yeah, it, it, it just never came back that way. But then, you know, Greg did come into the fold. He did the vocal production, he mixed the record. Um, and, you know, he kind of like executive produced the record, uh, which was great too, after sitting on the record for so long, sitting on the songs for so long, finally putting like somebody else's ear on them and having them be like, no, it is good. It's cool, man. Like you're worried about it <laughs> yeah. too much. Um, that was cool. But uh yeah, so basically we did the Malice tour and then that just turned into us uh, sort, of, sort of writing another record. Um, and again, it was good. Like, I, I think for Jesse, it was something that he'd been away from for so long. And then to do those shows, um, 
you know, I'm, I'm not sure he was ready to put, put a close to that chapter. You know, I'm, I'm not sure he was wanted it to stop. And I think, yeah. um, it was a good opportunity for him to sort of like unload a lot of the, the weight that he had been carrying for the last, you know, 10 or 15 years. Um, and it's been good. I think it's good for, it has been good for our personal relationships. Uh, I think there's always, there's always going to be some animosity between us, but like not in a way that like stops us from functioning as a band. Uh, yeah. I think it's, I think ten, tension can be good in those, in those circumstances. And especially with the band not being a band that, you know, is going to tour 10 months a year. Um, it's, it's workable. You can, you can work with it, you know? Yeah. And sort of on that kind of note, as you say, like, almost kind of like for Jesse kind of getting sort of like a second bite of the cherry in, in some aspects and mm -hmm. for all of you guys to kind of like get back together. And as you say, it, it took a while to kind of get this record to, to where it is, but do you th like? Do you think that, as cliche as this question is going to sound, like you are all older now, and like as you say, this there is going to still be that animosity, but like because you've grown as people, like you can understand like those elements, um, not necessarily water under the bridge, but like it's not something that you're going to hold a grudge over, kind of thing, and that's kind of helped you. I kind of guess have a look at misery signals with a fresh pair of eyes kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, again, I think like part of what made writing ultraviolet so unique again, was that it, in, in a sense, it was like a, a healing process for the band collectively. Um, and I think that's like represented pretty clearly through Jesse's lyrics. Um, as you'll hear when the record's out, I mean, the, the lyrics really deal with growth, and hope and sort of finding the positivity and in, in within the negativity, I guess. Um, yeah. Or, I mean, overall, I think it, it was, it was a great thing. And I think it's, it was the appropriate step for the band to take at the time. Mm. Um, and now that we've done it, it's like, we don't know what the next step is, you know, what, who knows, who knows if we'll do another record. I, I don't know, but. Yeah. And just in, in terms of kind of like, again again that sort of idea of getting the band back together kind of thing but like having like jesse back and kind of the original core sort of thing mm -hmm. was it was it just for like for you personally was it just kind of nice to sort of be back in that environment and sort of writing with those guys again like in general rather than it like being a misery signals thing like just on a personal level yeah, for sure. I mean, writing with those guys is is really, really cool. Um, you know, Brandon and Ryan are amazing musicians. And I mean, I think part of part of what makes Misery Signals unique, um, which we kind of touched on earlier is, you know, like with Brandon and Ryan being such gifted musicians, um, they're capable of writing and playing pretty much anything, you know. Yeah. And then yeah. it, you get guys like myself and Kyle and Jesse in the room who, who are just creative in a different sense. You know what I mean? Like, so that's, I think that's why there's always like, there's something again, like kind of unique about Misery Signal Sound is that um, there's just so many different like elements that play into way, to the way that we write music. Um, and, you know, we kind of, 
you know, the three of us kind of bring this simplicity and structure um, to the music that like Ryan and Brennan are obviously very capable of doing, but you know, they also bring these parts where they really shine and really push these sort of progressive um, uh, musical ideas, uh, which kind of makes it a unique scenario. And, and I think that's kind of the thing with Misery Signals that always existed, which kind of makes the band different from other bands, I guess. Um, so yeah, writing writing together again was very cool. And I, you know, it's something that I think we're all really excited about. And I think we're all really happy with, with the, the outcome. Mm. And obviously, like, I'm going to go into my sort of journalist mode here a bit more but like in terms of like when you guys kind of like released like the first teaser that you were releasing new music and then obviously the first signal um single sorry and the fact that there that is that kind of this is the quote-unquote original misery signals lineup sort of thing yeah like obviously that got fans excited straight off the bat sort of thing and as we mentioned at the kind of the beginning of this conversation like when the band first started there was already a buzz around it and it kind of seems like there's now a second wave of that buzz so are you feeling that from the inside that like fans are getting excited about you guys again not that they necessarily weren't but as you say like th that period of inactivity like the fans were maybe bubbling underneath the surface and now they're a boiling point kind of thing can you can you guys feel that and see that yeah for sure definitely and, and um it's it's been you know the reception has been warm and cold you know like some people are <laughs> you know they'll hear like tempest or something and they're like well this sounds nothing like you know old misery signals like you guys said it was going to sound like malice so it's like well i mean it does in the regard that like we're the same five guys that made that record but it's also 15 years later and we write music different than we did when yeah we yeah 22 years old so uh yeah i mean there were, it's good to see that people are still interested and it, it's it's great that people are excited about the record as far as i can tell um and again it's just one of those things where i'm like well i hope people like it you know <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like don't want to bump people up um i think i think it's got some really great misery signal songs uh, i think it's got like a, a couple of my favorite misery signal songs ever so we'll see how people receive it when it's fully released um not too far now like a month away it'll be out yeah so. yeah and just in terms of kind of like the release because obviously like under normal circumstances like obviously you're doing this interview with me but like you'd be doing a lot more sort of press and things like that and you'd potentially be doing tours and stuff but obviously because of that everything's a bit weird at the moment so does it kind of feel weird to be promoting an album at this time and kind of how have you guys kind of like, as a band, kind of decided to approach like, because I, I don't know, like I've seen some bands are just sort of like, we've got new music, here it is, like we're not going to kind of do any promotion, just enjoy it because we're all locked in our houses sort of thing. Mm -hmm. How have you guys decided to approach things at the moment? Well, that was kind of our take. Like we, you know, we have been, we had been pushing to release the record like further and further and further. Um, you know, we had hoped to have it out like, last year oh, okay um, and then things just kind of got pushed and got pushed and got pushed and you know kind of maybe around like february or whatever is when we were like kind of putting all the final pieces into place with releasing the record and then you know with the pandemic and stuff we were like oh shit well maybe this isn't a good time to release the record because we're not going to be able to tour off of it 
but then we also thought like yeah i mean why delay it i mean it's cool it's a good time in in a way it's a good time to release a record people have time to give it their attention yeah uh, and also again like i said like with the record being sort of this uh album that's full of like a hopeful message i think it's kind of a good time for that to be released um because i think it'll be relatable for people i think a lot of people are going through a lot of stuff that they don't even understand you know like myself you know there's a lot of emotions that i'm dealing with daily that um are in turn just a result of sort of life being put on hold so i think i think it's cool to be able to give people something to listen to and, and something to like make them feel good and something to relate to um so i'm hopeful that that's what people will take away from this record um and again it's it's kind of funny with like you know talking about earlier you know always wanting the band to be bigger and 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 you know maybe this will be the next step to take the band to the next level none of us are concerned with that at this point yeah. it, it, it wasn't like you know for us it's not like oh we can release this record and next thing you know we'll be headlining x festival or whatever you know like that's, yeah, that's yeah, not yeah. concerned with at this point anymore um just being able to do the band uh in any capacity i think is like what's most important for us at this point hmm. so releasing the record during a pandemic really makes no difference you know yeah um, and hopefully you know when this is all figured out uh hopefully we'll be able to do some touring off of it um and hopefully by the time that happens people have had time to let the record sink in and maybe those songs will ma you know matter to people when we play them live yeah yeah and i can't remember if it was, if it was yourself or kyle that i'd kind of had this conversation with last summer when we were touring together but like there was talks of you guys coming to the uk at some point and then obviously now that's kind of all gone by the wayside but like have you because as we're starting to see things ease and lockdowns and whatever sort of slow down a bit like have you guys started conversations about potential tours and stuff or at the moment are you just kind of playing things completely by ear uh it's totally by ear right now i mean we did our best to sort of you know like we we had tours for may and june that were cancelled and then we're like okay well you know, it's only going to be two weeks, so we'll just figure it <laughs> yeah. out. Um, now it just kind of seems like pointless to be trying to schedule anything because we're unsure of like really how this is going to play out, right? Yeah. Um, one thing I will say, like, you know, the UK, especially for some reason, you know, it's just one of those pockets in the world where it seems like people get misery signals and people like the band. So, what, you know, coming back to the UK is definitely a priority for the band um mm. you know that show that we played in london last march was like you know one of the best misery signal shows that we ever played um, yeah yeah and obviously we want to be able to do that again and yeah like i said the uk is a priority it's always been a place where we could play and it, it felt good to play there it was always a challenge to come overseas um because the uk would be great and then mainland europe was always a little like dicey um and you know we discovered that it was the same way 10 years later when we just did that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like again the couple of uk shows were really really awesome and then the mainland shows were like, lukewarm you know some places were good some places were okay um but yes i mean i think we're really hopeful to come back to the uk like as you said it was something that we had talked about um i think there's some really cool bands in the uk right now that we'd love to be playing with so 
yeah, I'm hopeful that we'll we'll be able to do that next year. Uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully, I guess we'll see what happens. Yeah, and just in terms of like, I'm, I could be wrong in terms of crossover, like in terms of when Misery Signal started doing shows and stuff again properly, but like. If uh, I guess this is more of a, a hypothetical, but like, if there was a scheduling conflict with Misery Signals and Comeback Kid, like, what does does your heart lie with Misery Signals, or is that a conversation where those things would never happen? Because I know, obviously, for people that don't know, Kyle obviously has a hand in stuff with Comeback Kid behind the scenes as well. So that's two members of Misery Signals gone off of that. So like, I don't know, would there be those conflicts or? Are you quite a, a well-oiled machine that you could work things out? Well, I mean, the way we did have 2020 laid out, we had like, it was like, dude, it's like scientific. We were like, we had like beakers out. <laughs> like we had, it, we had it like laid out really well, you know, like it was going to be pretty nutty. Like, you know, we had a misery signals run, then we had a couple days off and then there was another misery signals run a couple days off and then we'd jump right into a comeback hit tour. And you know, come home and a couple of days later, we'd start a mid-sigs run and then that's okay because the comeback kid tour would start at this point. So we had everything like really, really laid out. Um, and obviously that all fell apart. But, uh, you know, when we started doing misery signals again, I think it, it was pretty, like, I was pretty clear about comeback kid being my priority. Okay. Uh, and that's not to say that I, I love one or the other more. It's just, you know, I, I've been in comeback kid longer now than I was ever in misery signals. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And like I said earlier, as much as like, I love misery signals, I'm, I'm not like a huge, like metal core fan. It's not like what I like live and breathe for, you know, but like, whereas like comeback kid is like a very like punk hard hardcore band. And it's like the music that I really love. And it's, it's something that I'm like really, really deeply passionate about. And, and again, that's not to say that I don't love misery signals. It's just comeback. kid has been something that's, been you know a huge really important part of my life in the last 10 years um and it's definitely definitely my priority at the end of the day mm. but you know what like everybody else has priorities as well um you know ryan and jesse are both parents uh jesse's a school teacher uh ryan is a jujitsu coach um brandon the drummer from misery signals is a drum tech for he's fall up boys drum tech so he's touring okay. with them all too so and again, like, you know, like Misery Signals is an awesome thing that we love to do, but, um, you know, Brandon's job is a drum tech. That's, you know, and he has to commit, he, you know, he has to have that commitment. He can't just yeah. say like, sorry guys, I gotta go play a weekend with Misery Signals, find another drum tech. And and that's the same for me, you know, like with Comeback Kid, I, I would not be like, okay, well just go to fill in. Cause like, I just wouldn't feel comfortable with that. Like I, I, you know, doing Comeback Kid is, is my priority so you know i've you know we've had the conversation a few times in the misery signals camp where it's just like well if this doesn't work out like i'm not going to be upset if you guys get somebody to play guitar you know like yeah, if you guys yeah. do this tour and i'm unavailable like no hard feelings like do the thing like we're all friends like it's not a big deal and somebody can do a two-week tour with the band that's not me it's not going to like offend me you know i want the band <laughs> yeah. i want the band to be able to be active and in whatever capacity that is um in saying that i don't think we could ever do a tour without brandon you know like i don't think yeah. the band could ever tour without brandon the, the band could never tour without jesse singing uh at this point so it's like you know a guitar player is kind of interchangeable um, <laughs> you know, people are, don't beat yourself out like that Stu. <laughs> yeah 
people are coming to be like, whoa, that guy, you know, that people are coming to see, see the band. So, um, you know, again, we're all like really good friends. So it's like, everybody understands we're all adults now. It's yeah. not like, a, you know, nobody gets like offended by these things anymore. Um, and you know, I'd, I'd be happy to be a part of what I can be a part of. And I think everybody else shares the same sentiment. Yeah. And just before I start to round things off, like you mentioned that before all of this, like you look to have like quite a, a heavy schedule in terms of 2020 and something that I always kind of find interesting in, in some aspects is someone in your circumstances who is married and has obviously like a family life and things like that. So like, how do you kind of balance that? And like, I don't want to like obviously speak for your wife and things like that. Cause I don't know her at all, but like, I'm assuming she's cool with you going away for periods of time. Like, but how do those conversations kind of go about? And like, is it a case of like, she's just accepted. This is what you do. Is there a give and take? Like, how does that work? Um, well, I mean, our relationship, you know, we met, uh, she's Australian. So I met her when I was on tour. Oh, okay. Um, and I mean, that's just kind of like been my life. It's been our life. Um, you know, she, she grew up in Australia in, you know, the punk and hardcore scene. She was going to shows her whole life, you know. She's the world's biggest Silverchair fan. She's been going to concerts since she was a little, a little girl. Um, yeah. So, you know, she gets it. She totally understands the lifestyle. She's come on tour with us before. Um, and I mean, one cool thing about being in a touring band at our age now, it's like, you know, say we do go over and tour Europe for a couple of weeks, you know, one plane ticket one plane tickets paid you know so like for her to fly over and and for us to take a vacation it's very doable so yeah um there are like cool benefits of this lifestyle in that regard uh which are countered by you know some bummers of you know being away for weeks on end and not seeing each other um but thankfully she's super patient and 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 very understanding about the way that my lifestyle is um uh, in in ways the pandemic has actually been like I think it's been really great for our relationship you know I've been home for like six months which is kind of crazy to say but probably the most time we've ever spent together consecutively oh, wow. you know yeah 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 uh, like day in day out you know we've yeah. been together for over 10 years but it's like you know it's always been well I'm gone for a few weeks See you yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I think that applies for for everybody else in the band too you know ryan's got two kids jesse's got a kid um and with comeback kid jeremy's got two kids you know so it's it's cool being in touring bands and being the age we are because like although we're all like living like a peter pan lifestyle in a way we, we're also like adult about it now and, it, and the circumstances change and it's um it's almost more comfortable doing what we do now than it was when you were younger because it's like you have these things at home that kind of keep you anchored um, and make you feel like you have a real life as opposed to <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah yeah no we're, we're all lucky all our partners are all really cool and uh, I think all of us in both in both camps in Misery Signals and in Comeback Kid we're all very lucky that we have great partners we have great families that support what we do um and have you know really assisted us in being able to do this as long as we have yeah um Stu, how i like to to finish these conversations is to ask my uh my guest what their favorite song is but with a little bit of a twist but 
you're you're going to get two bites of the cherry because I've seen two active fans. <laughs> so, yeah. wh what's your favourite Misery Signals and favourite Comeback Kids song that you like to play live and why? <sighs> okay. Um, so with Misery Signals, I think like okay, so both bands like. Okay, so Misery Signals, obviously playing the year Summer Ended in June is like, uh, every time we ever play that song, it's like a very powerful and moving experience. Um, yeah. Just in context of like, you know, what the song is about. And it, it's very personal for for all of us in the band because we, we went through this like really tremendously terrible experience together. And, um, you know, here we are like fucking 18 years later um out here doing something that like is is just so special and, and significant um so playing that song is like without fail every time we play that song it's it's probably the most important uh and one of my favorite misery signal songs to play um we haven't got to play any of the new stuff live yeah. but there's a few songs on that new record that i love i love the tempest uh, and I know people out there are giving mixed reviews, man, but I just think it's, great. <laughs> I think it's a great song. Um, and I think it really encompasses, you know, Misery Signals as a whole. And I'm looking forward to playing that song. I think it's got a great positive message. And I think, like, I'm very hopeful that people will latch onto that. And I'm looking forward to playing it. I'm especially looking forward to playing it in the UK. Because um, I think people will get it, man. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. As far as Comeback Kid goes, again, it's like the same thing. I mean, playing Wake the Dead is crazy all the time yeah. it's the best, you know playing that song at a festival and like you know I don't, I don't, it's just cool it's like a cool song to play live um and again for me like being somebody that wasn't in the band when the song was written it's like a trip you know it's like I'm <laughs> yeah. playing the song that i love and all these people are there and like these people love this song as much as i do like as a fan and as the guy performing it so that's yeah, that's yeah. a it's fun to play um but like there's there's other comeback kid songs I just love like um, there's a song called Wasted Arrows from Die Knowing that I think yeah, is yeah. just like really cool song I love playing that song live. Um, yeah, I'll probably just uh, I would say Wasted Arrows as far as like more modern comeback kid goes. That's probably yeah. my favorite song live. Perfect, Stu. Thank you very much for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, best of luck with the new record, and really really hope to see you over here sooner rather than later. Yeah, buddy. Thank you very much. Uh, it was great to catch up with you. Nice yeah, surprise man. face. Um, <laughs> I hope I didn't ramble too far off the uh, path with some of these questions. No, I no, think. that's we, we love a good ramble. It's all good. <laughs> but yeah, I appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with me, man. It's great. No, it's cool, man. And yeah, we'll catch up soon. Sounds good, buddy. Hope to see cool. you. Yeah, take it easy. So there we have it, folks. A massive thank you again to Stu for taking some time out of his day to have a little chat with me. And it was really nice to, to catch up with him and see him again and, and to have a little chat. So, yeah. Uh, also want to give a massive shout out to Hannah from Hold Tight um, for setting up the interview for me. Um, they've been real supportive of the show since kind of day one, really. Um, and as soon as we said that we were back up and running... They could not have been more accommodating in, in helping with this and another chat that's coming up in the coming weeks. Um, so yeah, massive shout out to, to Hold Out, um, Hold Tight and everyone over there. Um, yeah, so Misery Signal's new record, uh, Ultraviolet, is out on August 7th. 
Um, if you're a fan of the band, I don't think you'll be disappointed whatsoever. I've had the opportunity to hear it and it fucking rips. Um, but as always, yeah, we'll have the links to Misery Signal stuff and Comeback Kids stuff in the description of this episode. Um, I forgot to mention at the top of the show, these episodes will also be going out on YouTube now as uh, I'm trying to utilise that as another platform. Uh, also kind of looking to do a bit more visual stuff later down the line. We'll see how that goes. But yeah, um, you can head over to youtube.com forward slash Justin Insight and all the episodes will be there as well. Uh, but for now, uh, we will be back again next week with another awesome guest. Uh, please, once again, if you're able to rate, subscribe, review, five stars would be preferable. Um, but yeah, thanks again for stopping by the Justin Insight podcast. And I will see you soon.